I'm here with Dave Brainerd. He's a Nashville songwriter, he's a Nashville producer, and he's an extraordinary human being with an extraordinary story. Being from Nebraska, go, go Big Red. Uh, I think, you know, the, what I've done in my own career, in my own life, comes from a lot of like uh, ingredients, right? I think Nebraska, Tom Osborne football, is kind of one of those ingredients. It's like kind of like the the carrots and the salad. The salad metaphor is really bad to use right now, but let's let's say pizza because it's like everybody likes pepperoni. No, I'm just cheese. And then the other part of uh, of that, what got us in Nebraska? I grew up kind of part time in Nebraska, part time in the military. Uh, my dad was Air Force, my mother's Korean, and the, um. So the military upbringing is kind of in there too. And so um, somewhere along the line, you know, my dad turned me on to the Beatles and I'd sit on his lap and mm. um, listen to Beatles records, Grand Funk Railroad. And so uh, there's nobody in my family that's has musical talent. Really? It's yeah. just that my dad loved uh, music and he would sit me in front of the fireplace and we'd, some of my favorite times were him drinking Jack Daniels and telling stories and listening to music and so that was kind of in me and then the, um, you know just early on taking piano lessons and the kind kinds of seeds that were planted um, and that's kind of in there too you know and then I've got a big brother who always kind of led me in trends like mm -hmm. he always led me uh, he was a big fan of George Michael you know <laughs> yes. so if my brother was singing in front of the mirror <laughs> I can do that. To George Michael, you know, faith, and yeah, you know, got to have faith, faith, the faith, faith. The faith. <laughs> when, when he wasn't in his room, I'd be in his room singing in the mirror <laughs> to George Michael, mirror. right? And then it turned into hair metal. And, yeah. and so the, the, my brother's influence on me is also pretty uh, substantial because he always kind of led my trend. Yeah. When he started skateboarding, I started skateboarding. When well, he, he must be pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he's the cool brother. You know, he ended up being a... Uh, one of the uh, most flown pilots in the Marine Corps for the V-22 the Osprey, just retired a couple of years ago, but That's like so just cool. a total stud and yeah. you know, so <laughs> yeah. we get along great and everything, but he's always kind of led me um, in terms of those trends and everything. And then when I started playing music, then he became the kind of the tough love uh, thing as well. So he'd tell me I sucked, so I'd practice harder. <laughs> <laughs> like, David, again, yeah. I, I had long hair and I'm practicing, you know, all this hair metal stuff and, 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 and he's telling me that I'll never be a rock star and all this stuff. And I was sort of like, well, all right, well, I'm going you know, to practice harder, you know. That's right, and yeah. so that, that's a big influence there, too. And, and uh, I think everybody has those general experiences. But if you get into it, uh, I, get, I was always lucky to fall into something that encouraged me to continue um, mm -hmm. when I... We were stationed in Germany in 1989, my dad was, and uh, um, you know, I showed up, I was just starting to teach myself guitar and uh, showed up to school one day, and uh, first day of school, I was in German class, and uh, this kid next to me looks at my book cover, and I had made book cover <laughs> full of guitar drawings and all this stuff, and he goes, hey, do you play guitar? I go, yeah, I do. He goes, well, I play drums, and, and so we ended up becoming best friends, and we started a band, we'd, we'd practice in his parents' attic. And then before in the basement, I guess. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a small German town, and there was this big cold attic, and uh, um, I'd go up there and I'd bring my amp, and he had drums, and I'd play guitar, and then eventually we found someone that played bass, and and we were just playing cover bands, and I was like 15 years old, 
And like before you know it, I can't even remember how we got gigs, but before you know it, we were playing like beer festivals and like American. In Germany, that's a big deal. Yeah, American GI bars, yeah. and then and we were oh, cool. in a talent contest, and within the first year there. It's like immediately we were rehearsing for something. It wasn't just like a, just a you know, a couple punks just, you yeah. know, doing that. We were like, oh, man, we got gigs. Purposeful. And so I was learning solos, and then I was performing solos, and I was, you know, there's this one um, moment where hair metal's about to die, and a band called Warrant. Remember Warrant? <laughs> yeah. They came out with this video, and, you know, they're they're like, on each other's shoulders playing guitars, right? They're like walking around stage, and we're like, we gotta, we gotta do that. And so that was kind of the like the dreamers in us, and we're actually in these GI bars, you know, kind of pulling off stunts like that, and just trying to be rock stars. Yeah. And Your brother was so, wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not hair metal, but a rock star. <laughs> so he was the jock, and he got all the girls, and I was kind of the, the easy, easy to get along with guy that played music, and That's you know. So, uh, um, so that happened, and, and that was really great. I always thought that performance experience kind of elevated uh, me beyond just being a, a basement practicer Absolutely. musician, you know. Mm -hmm. So it gave me all this sort of inertia in performing and audience and all that stuff. So when I came back to the States, I guess I'd uh, improved enough as a guitar player. This was back in 1991. After the Berlin Wall had fallen, you know, I was in Germany when the Berlin Wall fell, oh, and the first Desert War, so it was just an interesting historical kind of pivot there too. I was long-haired, too young to really appreciate it, but <laughs> I did observe some cool cultural things that really oh. were part of became part of my pizza yeah. <laughs> or my salad, <laughs> whatever. You, yes. you know, and I came back to the states, and there's this. Um, I stepped into a music store called Russo's Music um, in Omaha, Nebraska. And um, John Schleusner was the owner, and he walked up and said, "Hey, man, um, you ever teach guitar?" And I'm <laughs> hey, just, you, I'm just playing scales, play, right? Play, yeah, and some sweep know. arpeggios oh, and all that, I you know, agree. the stuff that yeah, was trendy at the time. He heard you play and said that, yeah. And I was like, "Well, I'm, that'd that'd be cool." Yeah. And a week later, he called me and said, "Hey, I got a couple students for you if you want to come in." I'm oh. like, "Okay." So, like I said, I've always oh. uh, kind of like just been encouraged by certain opportunities, and that the teaching then put me into music. I was just teaching from there, going to school, and um, just being around manic depressant, bipolar, <laughs> creative people, yeah. and that became my world. I didn't really fit into the American high school. I was more um, go practice, hang out with weirdos that couldn't drive, that taught me how to play cribbage, you know? <laughs> and we talk about Beatles recordings yeah. and stuff like that, and yeah. Stanley Jordan and Frank Sinatra. And uh, so I, w I was just turned on because of the environment I got put in because of teaching guitar. So anyway, Jimmy Weber walks in one, one day to the music store and is looking for a guitar player for the Air Force Band. I just had long hair, and John Schleusner recommended me because Jimmy was like, I need a young kid who's you know compatible with the military that doesn't have a drug problem and all this <laughs> cool. stuff. And it's sort of like John's going, not no, him, no, no, not no. him, no, that ain't going to work. Sort of like, you know what, there's this guy, this is a great kid that's teaching here. And, and so he recommended me, and Jimmy, I walked up and, uh, Jimmy has this funny story because we had just watched Wayne's World. Like that's when Wayne's World was out. Wayne's World, Wayne's World, yeah. And uh, I came up and first time Jimmy ever met me, I go, "Yeah, man, we just saw Wayne's World. It was so awesome." <laughs> <laughs> just kind of had this long-haired, you know, rock and oh, roller yes, thing. Yes, yes. And Jimmy's yeah. like, "Is that him?" So. <laughs> Are you sure? Is that the right guy? Yeah. So, anyways, a after one year of college, uh, for me that wasn't my thing. It's uh, in at University of Omaha. 
um, everything kind of seemed like it ushered me to music education, and that's not where I wanted to be. Right. I just wanted to learn mm -hmm. formal music theory, which I kind of had self-taught myself on guitar, and so I didn't find that that's kind of what I needed to be doing. Mm -hmm. So the Air Force opportunity was this amazing next opportunity that allowed me yeah. just to stay doing music. And, yeah. um, um, and so I auditioned for the band, and uh, the... The gentleman who, or the colonel who hired me is Colonel Jessup at the time. He went on to lead the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. So he's very prestigious you know, choir director for the Tabernacle Choir. Details. But anyway, so I joined the Air Force. And then um, just from there, it was like, you know, five years of being in a really great gig. And, I, and then we're still making the pizza, right? Yeah, we are. <laughs> so we're still adding ingredients to the pizza. Yeah. I think... Um, one of the cool things about being in the Air Force, there's a lot of cool takeaways. One of the great things is that we'd play for um, the four-star general or admiral. It was a joint command, AV, uh, Navy Air Force joint command, and uh, Admiral Childs was there. And the, so part of the band's function is we'd go play cocktail music and then a dinner performance for the general and his audience that evening. And it was usually a room full of really kind of powerful men and women and whether it's other generals or it's like the Russian missile team or the tennis French team being hosted by the senator yeah, or, you know cool, yeah. is really all interesting over, right? all over. I mean you were going all over even though you were stationed still out of Omaha well for those for those specifically we were it was on base it was at the officers club and, and so most of those functions happened in that intimate okay. setting it was very intimate but it was really inter interesting because I just remember um just feeling like the gravity of like a great man in a room mm -hmm. commanding the attention of other great men and women. Yeah. And it's something you just felt and you learn to kind of feel and uh, like understand. Because I'd watch at least once a month we'd have one of these functions for the Admiral. And so it was an interesting thing. And so a lot of that kind of comes back into the pizza now, you know, sort yeah. of like what, what what's my makeup? Yeah. Um, and so that there was that, and then around the same time, uh, my my dad had really, you know, he retired from the Air Force, and he was kind of getting into multi-level marketing stuff, and the, you know, he reeled me into a couple things, and the, I thought it was amazing. Multi-level marketing comes, uh, it wasn't Amway, but those kind of things came along with a lot of success principle philosophy. Oh, yes. and, coaching and yeah, training and yeah. you get the um you know think and grow rich napoleon hill you yes. get tony robbins comes into your life and all those things and so my dad really was passionate about those things as he was trying to build his mlm businesses which didn't really ever pan out to anything <laughs> yeah. but but they the, added to who he was by getting the experience you know the education right yeah and through the process for me my, my takeaway was this amazing like fertile like information about financial independence and all that stuff so personal development just yeah so that kind of comes into the, like the making of the pizza and everything so mm -hmm. i think you know somewhere along the line between the music elements and some of the like life elements of it like it just kind of like set set me up well for any kind of adversity mm -hmm. you know and i'm thankful for that and it's it's i just kind of went with it as, it as it felt right to me at that point in my life. It wasn't like, I was like, hey, I took all this time and I researched <laughs> yeah, all that. It yeah. just kind of came to me through mentors and yeah. opportunities and situations. So so anyway, that fast forwards us to 
you know, moving to Nashville and just kind of coming to town with kind of a Midwest Tom Osborne-like culture to my work ethic, my passion for football, my military kind of thing, my mother's givingness, you know, just sort of, uh, she was just so giving, and so that kind of played into that too, like how I treated relationships and what I would do to mm -hmm. bring value to a relationship and everything. So all those things kind of, I don't know, looking back, it's it's nothing I did, it's just kind of the way I was wired through like all these people in my life and all these opportunities. And so it's one of those things that you don't take necessarily credit for, You just because you're kind of like pulled into all these great things. You get into the business, and when I was in my first publishing deals, um, there's a lot of foreshadowing of how this business really plays out. It's uh, hopes up, dreams crushed, hopes up, dreams crushed, and, and you're on a constant cycle like that. And you know, um, like some of the earlier stuff, you know, that I think maybe songwriters can relate to. And uh, I went through is, uh, just a str my first publishing deal. I signed there as my first deal. I, I took all of my Schedule A and I gave it to the company and it was Tom Schuyler was running the company and Tom is fantastic uh, I love him to this day I mean, he's a mentor and a legend but uh, um, like three months after I signed there I had a, a, a single with Neil McCoy on Warner Brothers mm -hmm. off of a work tape that I'd done I had a, a cut with a young artist named Tebe who was on BNA mm. and it was like this was two years after coming to Nashville and it just all of a sudden was like I'm really great. This is great. This is easy. This is all going to pay off. And then what happens is that Tay Bay, you go on radio tour with him, which I did, and I would go all over the country, and you got his next single and all the stuff, and you disappear for a week, and you come back, and he loses his deal. And the Neil McCoy single, the promotion staff's going, um, they're getting fired because uh, there's a new label head. And, yeah. and so stuff like that where it seems like all of a sudden there's a new house one day in your immediate dreams, immediate plans, and then the next day it goes away, you know. Mm. You know, when things are happening great, you're you're out, you're at parties, and you're high-fiving and drinking beer, and mm. just, and then that stuff goes away, and you're like, I don't want to see anybody ever, oh. you know. So there's there's that kind of roller coaster that I think everybody goes through, and it only gets worse, and it only the hires get higher, the lowers get lower, and... Uh, but then you kind of learn that's the rhythm of life anyway. I could not agree more. So when, I mean, and that, honestly, you almost have to say that to yourself because when you are down here, you don't think that there's going to be out there, but you know every single time there's an up, that there's an up. You know what I mean? You can never, like, I guess operate out of that low. You know, that Because it, you do, you just want to just go to bed and say, you guys, <laughs> go on, world. But, but the truth is, is like nothing good comes from there, right? There's always an up. There's always the next morning. Yeah. I, I like you're down enough. Yeah, well, it only and from there it just gets it gets bigger for me. And then there's some of the more poignant um, examples of you know coming out of my second publishing deal, and this is where it becomes a it's easy for me now to turn it into a positive. But at the time, you know, you're in the mindset of trying to get writing, 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 praying to the song gods that somehow you get one through and it creates some kind of significance or money or whatever and you know position in this industry and so uh, around the end of my second publishing deal um, there was a song uh, infringed uh, of mine oh. or so we thought 
And so we believe, or so we believed. Yeah. And anyone that can listen for themselves. So that created this thing. It's sort of like, you know, get off the pot kind of moment where you go, this is this is a real thing. This is this really happened to us. And and we, my co-writers and I, without the support of the publisher, decided to take action on this song. And so, politically, a huge mistake. It's just, in this town, it's a, it was against two really uh, established writers, and that was kind of a turning point for me because it, it wasn't something that you moved to town to get caught up in a lawsuit. No. Right. Or to have to learn about that, mm -mm. Uh, and so mm. it was really four and a half years is that what, what that took. So I left that second deal, kind of in a four-year black hole mm. of being disappointed and upset and violated and having to deal with the bullies of the industry mm -hmm. and just knowing that you had to take action and follow through and mm -hmm. you know go through all the attorneys and learn about uh, musicology and and all these things and you know at the end of it. The case got thrown out at summary judgment, but but we actually kind of won on principle, and the opposing attorney has even admitted that behind the scenes, who I, who I now, now know the attorney and have a lot of respect for him, and we, we, we actually talked, because they were just doing their job. Right. But at the time, it was like you felt kind of violated, and this mm -hmm. was like, whatever, you have, you're ostracized from the happening part of the industry because you're doing that, and mm -hmm. whatever perceptions come come along with that. Uh, you know, going through a lawsuit for copyright infringement when you don't have the platform to really leverage anything. You're just kind of the that thing. So, you know, that point in my career, I really just kind of ducked out of everything. But at the same time, it was popping a, a paradigm or shifting a paradigm of mine, which was very important for me uh, down the road because up until that point, I was praying to the gods that I would just oh. somehow write, get lucky, you know, and that is that world. But once you start to see the inner workings of copyright and law and the politics of this industry and you really get to the deep levels of that in an infringement suit, sitting down with one of the most brilliant attorneys during a deposition and having them, you know, play with your brain like you're a, you know, a cat toy or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. okay, they just worked wow. me over. Wow. And, uh, but, but I remember being challenged and enjoying that process in a sick kind of way. It was really weird. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in the room with a genius. This is amazing. <laughs> it's really happening, yeah. It really was. And so by that time of the process, uh, it had shifted my whole understanding of how the, the music business was. And then that kind of pointed my compass more towards uh, entrepreneurship, music business, understanding how the moving parts worked a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was an important kind of moment where I shifted to that. And... Uh, and, you know, years down the road, you still are seeking closure, but like we all do with certain things because the lack of closure keeps on superimposing itself on, onto other things, which is not healthy. Like so, how? Like what were you, you, you mean? Like because you, you believed in it so much and it didn't happen, you know what I mean? And they didn't get, what do you mean closure? Uh, closure, you know, it's like it's the kind of uh, um, all those feelings that create, a waste of time or a, a bad uh, self-conversation, you know, it's like mm -hmm. the angers and the, the being pissed or, you know, when you're walking down a trail and your mind is cleared and that conversation comes into your head and you're like, that kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's years down the road I found it really important to whatever it takes to find closure with that because that, 
that stuff just keeps on projecting itself onto everything, right? And that's that's kind of basic self therapy. Um, so, and, that, and that's what you know when you talk about any of those experiences. Like, how how well can you at least attempt to have closure? And, and I'll give you a great example. There's an artist I worked with that we had a, a falling out, and for the longest time there was um, the the talk and the, the mind and uh, having those conversations, and you'd play those out. It's that weird thing that we all do. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, the only way to do this is to make good with somebody or at least do your best attempt at reaching out and making good with it. And so I found, and that was the first time I really released a, a lot of things, was like, oh my gosh, I found closure because I reached out and I just did that thing that Jesus talks about. Let, let me rewind, go back. Yeah. So the biggest, I mean, the thing that really kind of hit it kind of climaxed a couple of years ago. Um, there was an incident where I got attacked. Mm. I was walking across the street on Demumbrian uh, with a good friend of mine, and um, and it was this smile that got me into trouble. Um, um, she walked across the street, and uh, this car comes and pulls up and hits her, like kind of hits his brake and then runs into her, and then he started like pushing into her to kind of be like aggressive and you know king of the road and so she's out there and I look out and I run out there and I'm like whoa this is crazy so I'm smiling and I go out there and I I grab her and I pull her to the median and I have kind of have my hand up like this is crazy move on this is crazy and the guy and his wife were out there screaming he comes out and he comes out and clocks me and breaks my jaw and strangles basically out of that I kind of like respond and I kind of go after him and so in some weird state of shock because yeah. uh, he's you know like six foot two or something like yeah. that and I'm you know me I'm, if I stand up I'm like Tom Cruise <laughs> you know with my feet cut off you know <laughs> so anyway I, I just kind of went uh, after him and he choked me out and he strangled me and sort of there I was I, I wake up in the middle of the street and and it was kind of a thing you know I'd been attacked and almost kind of killed really he laid me in the street after choking me to out and uh, went over and attacked my friend who I was with, and they were put, he put his knee on her and all that stuff. So there's kind of this really traumatic event that happens, you know. <laughs> I joke about this because it was, I remember specifically, like, as, you know, when you're out, I remember specifically it was like this kind of small circle that kept on opening up because I was dreaming. It's like I was dreaming specifically about chocolate ducks going down the river and floating off. And I was enjoying it. And then the world kind of started as a hole in the middle of that dream and just kind of opened up. And then I heard this sound of the world come rushing back in. It was like, and I wake up and I was, you know, spitting teeth out. I'm like, what happened to me? It was like blood. But I wake up and um, we're like, there's all this blood coming out. I'm just sort of like, what the heck? And I'm in shock. So we go over to the mirror, and the, the Deborah now, who had been attacked, and she's um, just—it's a whole other trauma that she had to go through. But uh, because of my physical injury, Deborah, uh, regardless of her emotional trauma that just happened to her, mm-hmm. kind of took on the role of caretaker for me instantly, mm-hmm. and the, uh, and that caused issues down the road. But I, the acuity of of that really was like you—you got to do something. Yeah, yeah, and so she just kind of came to my side and was my caretaker for that whole from there, and so we're we're kind of rushing to 
we, we find a bathroom in the apartment building and everything and I'm just gushing blood and, and we're looking at my mouth and there's teeth missing and chipped and it's like my mouth was destroyed I ended up with like seven crowns and mm. a new tooth and everything but it was really just like ground like the guy had hit me so hard we couldn't find the blood and finally we looked up and there was a gash in my chin like you could see my bones sticking out from my chin <laughs> that's getting really graphic but i'm like oh my gosh because i, I would refuse to go <laughs> to the hospital i was sort of like at that point i said i'm gonna be fine i'm gonna be fine i just need a couple of days i'll be fine because i'm in shock you know oh, yeah, yeah. and so yeah. finally when they showed me the the bone i was like oh so they came the ambulance came and i got in the ambulance and I refuse to take an ambulance ride because I'm like, I'm not going to pay $3,000 for a ride to the VA hospital. Somebody call an Uber. So this becomes kind of like a little like a comedy skit, right? Yes, yes. And so the Uber pulls up and they're like, there's the Uber. And so we're like, you know, holding my towel or whatever, going down to the Uber and the Uber takes off, you know, because he's probably yeah, thinking. Not blood in my <laughs> So oh my finally God. the officer on duty said, you know, said you were, you were military. So hey, get in the car with me. The girls have to get find their own ride. But so the officer took me to the VA hospital, and from there it's like, you know, from, from the moment I'm in there, it's like I, I always had this kind of sense of humor. Because if you go back to that pizza, <laughs> yes, I had a really great bag to draw from in terms of context and how to take this. Because right. immediately, I was, uh, another thing that I remember, like my brother who was a Marine pilot, you know, he was the commanding officer of a couple big deployments and. He'd come back with stories of, you know, a B-22 crashing and one of his buddies being in it and having his legs ground up and spending the rest of his life having to regraft his legs and stuff like that. And so those kind of things give you perspective yeah. for that. So when you're sitting in there with a broken jaw because some coked up guy came and hit you and you're like, I'm alive, I got a broken jaw. Deal with this. It's I, not that bad. Here's some jokes, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. At that point, I, I think what's the the biggest takeaway for me is starting from that point. It's like it's um. You know, being the person that's in it, you know, I think a lot of times the people around you are more angered by something like that. When you're in it, you're not necessarily the one that's angry. At least I wasn't, mm -hmm. and it seemed like the more people, kind of, kind of gave their kind of love and support more of that weight that's lifted from you and so you're sitting there and you know jaws dislocated and, you know and I'm whatever four places and you have to go through that process and I go into the hospital like four days later I had to wait four days from the night my jaw was dislocated before I can go into the no, you know, the VA sent me to the Vanderbilt care, oh, okay. like right that night from the emergency room. They said, whoa, we can't handle this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're messed up, buddy. We're sending you to <laughs> Vanderbilt. <laughs> yeah. We can't help that. No. And so I was in Vanderbilt care, yeah. which is great. But yeah, they're still okay. like, I mean, what's crazy about that is from the doctor that finally comes in to them, it's sort of like, oh, here's your broken job, blah, 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 whatever happens every night. Yeah. I'm like, this happens every night to people? This is crazy. Yeah. Um, so if you go into the hospital, uh, you know, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to do my appointments that week or two <laughs> or for the next whatever. And it really, I really had to slow down. But this kind of puts all these things together, like the whole, like the energy flow of things. And this is where my, the, being from the Christian side and understanding the power of prayer and the manifestation of thoughts and how they actually create energy that, rumbles through the universe and actually kind of 
manifests and plays out. And so uh, um, I felt like my the healing process. I was so like like happy, and I was in such a good mood, you know. And there was so much support, and there was so much so much outpouring that I could actually feel my body heal faster. Actually, eight weeks of having my mouth wired shut, I cut it down to like five weeks. The food was how better. Did the, how did how did you? How did you have happiness? Because a lot of people don't come from that. What did, like, how do, how do you, you know what I mean? Like, I, it actually ended up being a good thing. But how do you, how do you, how can we tell people how to make that a good thing? You know what I mean? Like, how, what did you do? Or Because it didn't just happen, right? You didn't just be like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm excited. I got my, you know, it wasn't like that. What, how do you, like, when bad, bad stuff happens and you hit the floor and you, and you black out and, you, and your world is, you know, your, your, your world is gone, and then you're seeing chocolate ducks, which is funny. That's so cool. Like, how do you, how do you bounce back? How do you say, look at look at this, look at look at my surroundings, and look at it in a way that's like not devastated, but actually opportunity. Yeah. How? Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the, it goes back to that pizza. It goes back to the wiring. You know how I've been wired through certain influences and everything. Um, can and so, wires, can somebody who's not done that in the past, who's always gone to the the poor me or the oh my god my life, can somebody get rewired? I, I think so because even when you've been wired that way, it's a constant, it's a constant rewiring. You're always trying to improve and get better and understand things that way. Uh, for me, part of it uh, is knowing, uh, or at least accepting, kind of what my what my purpose is. So it's it's like, how do I work this into my purpose now? Because my purpose doesn't change. It's, yeah. you know, how I do it may may change a little bit or what I have to deal with. So that's part of it. Um, I think people, for the most part, have their own version of what I'm talking about. They already kind of have a disposition towards um, taking things into a positive and everything. But I might be speaking out of turn because I don't know. That's just kind of the world I'm in. Yeah, I don't. I think most people do. I, it's a world I'm in too. But I think that so many people suffer with that that self talk that you're talking about. It, it's not. It's not in a good place. And that's why we have so much. You know, ourselves tons of you know, negativity in the world about all kinds of different things. Um, but I do think that most people are different than that. I agree with. I'm, I'm with you. But I don't. I think people that hopefully are hearing this, um, they need to hear how to turn that. Well, one thing I've learned from my my sweetheart, who after that incident uh, really came into my life, um, she really kind of solidified all of this um, because she brought in the um, the gratitude jar, and we got together and and she said we're gonna I do this thing. It's a gratitude jar, and I, I want us to do it. I'm like, I get the concept. <laughs> I think that's great. It's really okay. Cool. I love you. I'll do it. And that has turned into such a powerful thing for me. Like, oh, if you focus on what you're grateful for, it fills the void of all those things. And it kind of starts manifesting those things. And, and you can use gratitude for so many things. Like if you're, you can use gratitude to get things you want. You can be grateful for the Grammy. You can be grateful for health. That you don't have, you I mean, know. There's always, even in the midst of yuck, there's something to be grateful for. Yeah, grateful for the smallest thing or the biggest thing, and so yeah. that, like, to me, that that's a huge part of it. I think 
over the last couple of years that's really kind of solidified this kind of uh, like I'm not a Zen guy, but it's, it seems like what it's called a Zen state, like just to be in the moment and kind of be, you know, not hanging on to the past because the past is the past is a, it's associated so closely with the ego, even successes and failures and all that stuff. It, 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 the ego is driven from the past, like associations, like I won this. Why don't they think I'm cool because I'm this, and, you know, or they hurt me in the past. And so I'm going to hang on to this. And so a lot of that um, gratitude kind of replaces that because it, it makes you focus on what you're grateful for now and the future and just yeah. kind of that world. And I mean, you're always in a battle with the ego state and kind of like what's uh, that. And um, I don't know. So to me, it helps to be in a Zen state and to have a just a sense of humor about things and, and, and about yourself. Yeah. Like I'm the first one to laugh at myself and mm. make a joke even when it's inappropriate and I shouldn't. You know, sometimes <laughs> I err on the side of like inappropriate humor about things. And, but it, but it does it like you're you're I mean I hundred percent agree with you. Wouldn't you rather be around somebody who like can laugh about the silly things versus oh my god it's so you know she did you see what it I mean like you have to, it's just life is you know remember when you first start dating somebody or when you first start in relationships and it is so fun and lighthearted and so good and then as you go things get more serious and like and you lose some of that like silly like fun and you you you. You have bills and kids and and house pay all all these things and you forget that we it's so much better to just like something happens with the severity of, of of our life where things get more serious versus more fun and I swear to God we're so much more happy when we take away and realize to put it in perspective as this is you know what I mean like let's have fun while we're doing these bills let's make jokes about like getting nearly killed um, you know what I mean like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like it is it is it's taking like a, just a different it's like making the best out of really crappy things that happen. Yeah. You know? And it's take, like, like, like you said, if you look at, even though there's horrible, horrific things have happened, like, you know, getting, that was, well, honestly, that's devastating. I mean, to any human being alive, utterly devastating. But what you did is you took it and you said, I'm grateful for it because what I got out of it is me. I got out this different perspective that I would not have had had I not had that experience. That's cool. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. And another thing too, just if we go talk about music in general, I mean this this industry, it's almost like church, where it's everybody criticizes the church, but you love all the people individually in the church, and you're like, <laughs> oh, these are really great people individually, but for some reason, corporately, it's sort of like there's all these hypocrisies and there's all this stuff wrong with the way it, it functions as a, but. I mean, there's really, I mean, there's a few people that are kind of, you know, hypocritical, but for the most part, there's really great people in the church. Music industry is kind of that way. It's easy to go, music industry is, they're just against me, you know? Yeah. Everybody kind of gets to that. And then, but you know, all the individual people, and you go, well, there's a lot of really great people in the industry. And so I think through that process, everybody reached out, and you go, you know what? Even though this industry is tough, the people are great. 